Welcome to the Open House Podcast. Conversations exploring life, faith and hope with Stephen O'Doherty. Well, a US court has ordered the Monsanto company, the manufacturers of the weed killer Roundup, to pay more than $280 million after a jury found Roundup contributed to a man's cancer. He was a school gardener. And in another court case, this time in Brazil, a judge has suspended the use of glyphosate. Those decisions could have huge impacts on Australian agriculture and, of course, agriculture around the world. It could adversely impact global food supply to the level that disadvantages the third world, according to Professor Jim Prattley from the Graham Centre for Agricultural Innovation, which is part of Charles Sturt University. Uh, Professor Prattley, welcome to Open House. Uh, thank you very much. Now, you've called this um, whole episode silliness. That's, that's quite a word for something where we're talking about a potentially cancer-causing substance. Uh, well, uh, everything's a potentially cancer-causing substance. Uh, it's a case of being uh, realistic about what the risks are and uh, in this case some people seem to uh, want to uh, create a fear factor that's actually not justified and uh, glyphosate uh, is one of the safest chemicals ever uh, to uh, be made available to us and uh, so we can't afford to lose it because if we do then we're going to be dealing with chemicals that aren't as safe as it. Gosh, well, that that is quite a statement. One of the safest chemicals ever provided to us. Um, yep. What's the history of glyphosate? Uh, well, interestingly, glyphosate uh, is is a, a broad spectrum herbicide that came out in the nineteen seventies, and it enabled us to move from what was a soil degrading system of agriculture. Uh, soil structure de- degradation, massive wind storms, uh, dust storms, and uh, glyphosate were, enabled us to go into uh, no-till. And uh, as a result of that, over the last 20 or 30 years, we've been able to uh, keep uh, the dust storms to a minimum. We've got uh, much better soil structure. We've been able to keep uh, cover on the surface of soils to protect it etc cetera, etc cetera. and so we've moved to a system that's that's actually um, quite sustainable now, now just to un- unpack that a little bit this is because yep. the previous method of controlling um un- unwanted we're going to call them weeds for the purpose of yes. this discussion but yeah. that's that's a whole definitional thing um the, the way of controlling weeds would be to would be to what rip them out of the ground by tilling, um, yep. upturning the topsoil, and fairly quickly you're degrading the productivity of your land, but causing all of these other problems. So yes. glyphosate comes along as a new technology, yep. the old technology being mechanical methods. And what you're saying is that it's a kind of technological revolution that we needed. Absolutely, uh, we uh, we spent a lot of time uh, destroying our soils. Uh, Interestingly, Australian soils are amongst the oldest in the world. They're the most fragile, and so all we were doing was uh, dealing with something that was uh, very difficult to uh, sustain. Mm. And glyphosate allowed us to adopt uh, non-tillage techniques, uh, and at the same time, we've uh, increased uh, the yields of uh, most of our crops, and um, it's it's sort of responsible for that and it's safe to use so uh, we the alternative is to use something that's much more dangerous 
and um, uh, so uh, we have a different system now, a conservation farming system. In the past, it was actually a, an exploitative one. Well, now, um, uh, so some people will hear that and say, well, hang on, this just doesn't make any sense. You're putting a poisonous substance on the ground. Can't that? Isn't that just inherently wrong for us, wrong for the environment? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Uh, glyphosate works by attacking the enzyme EPSP synthase, which is in the shikimate pathway biochemically. Now, we don't need to know the detail of that except <laughs> to know that it's only plants and microorganisms that have that. Animals don't have that pathway. And so its key activity is not something that uh, happens in animals. Yeah. So relative to a lot of the other chemicals which work on pathways that we share with plants, yeah. glyphosate uh, is specific to that particular pathway. Well, that is that is interesting. What, what science is behind the belief that it's cancer-causing? Uh, well, there is no science. Uh, it's all about, uh, if we go back in history a bit, there was... Uh, a concern about multinationals taking over the world. And mm. one of the uh, major mo multinationals was Monsanto. Mm. And so the uh, Greenpeace-type organisations said, well, what does Mount Monsanto do? Well, they have glyphosate and they produce GM uh, crops. Genetically modified so, crops. Yeah. yeah. And so let's uh, target those and in doing so do damage to Monsanto. So we've had this fear campaign for GMOs for uh, you know, 25 years. We've had the, the glyphosate issue for uh, a bit longer than that. And uh, the activists have been uh, promoting all these fear aspects, which actually don't exist. We know that uh, GM uh, meals have been served for 25 years, trillions of them, and there hasn't been one um, incident that we could trace back to GM. Uh, we've, we've seen glyphosate used for 40 years. Uh, we can't trace back any incident that glyphosate has uh, caused a problem. There have been something like 80 reviews of glyphosate, Mm. And only one of them has come up with this uh, view that it ought to be changed from a category of possibly to probably. So this was the and international uh, 2015 study, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And it ignored a research program that was monitoring some 35,000 users of glyphosate over uh, a couple of decades. Oh. And it ignored that. And in that particular one with those large numbers, they weren't able to pin any relationship between cancer and use of glyphosate. Goodness. Our guest on Open House is Emeritus Professor Jim Pratley from Charles Sturt University. Uh, the Graham Centre for Agricultural Innovation is is one of your uh, projects, and yep. I must admit you're you're kind of changing the worldview of a few people here. I suspect um, with this view, it's not it's not an argument that's necessarily heard very often, particularly in city areas. Uh, rural, uh, our rural listeners will be well familiar with it um, because it is so, it is, as you've said, so wide, widespread. What do you, the use of it, what do you make then of this US court case? 
Uh, that's a very good question. I'm not sure what to make of it. Uh, <laughs> clearly, very uh, sympathetic to the uh, the man that has cancer, mm. but. I uh, view the courts as being evidence-based outcomes, but there's no evidence to support the outcome that's that's in this uh, particular court case, and and so we must expect that uh, an appeal will uh, overturn it because uh, for some reason or other the evidence wasn't presented well, or or the non-evidence wasn't challenged. But, You've read through the case, have you? Uh, I haven't read. In detail, I've read the reviews of a case, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, it's sort of you know, one of these emotional things that uh, clearly you've got Exhibit A, who's a guy with uh, cancer, yes. uh, sitting in there, and so you immediately uh, get empathy with him. The issue to me is who is actually funding the court case, because it wouldn't have been him. He's a humble uh, gardener in... Uh, uh, school, and so he wouldn't have the resources to take on uh, the Monsantos of the world. So somebody's behind him, using him as a, a sort of a guinea pig or a, uh, whatever to uh, to uh, attack the multinationals. It, it's I actually think it's cruel. Cruel. That's an interesting word. Mm. What do you mean when uh, you say cruel? Oh, well, I think, it, yeah, here's a guy who uh, probably doesn't understand what they're on about, mm. uh, he, and he's being used as the tool for these people mm. who want to actually uh, cause Monsanto harm. Well, now, I don't have any um, sort of relationship with Monsanto that I, I'm supporting them. It's just that the whole thing doesn't make any sense because the evidence doesn't justify the outcome. Hmm. Well, the implications are um, are huge and not just in ways that people might um, expect, certainly commercially and, and so on, there are big implications. But let's go a little deeper now into your argument because um, this is something I had not realised. Um, genetic modification, as you've said, of crops is hmm. something that's been improving yields and improving... Um, improving beneficial outcomes from crops. And and yep. you've written about specifically a, a type of rice that's been bred, or yep. sorry, genetically modified, to, to help kids with blindness in uh, yep. in the third world. Talk about that. Uh, well, vitamin A deficiency in the third world has uh, been one of the major issues uh, worldwide. And uh, on average, uh, four to 500 thousand kids go blind and a lot of them die through uh, this vitamin A deficiency. Mm. Now, uh, why is that? Well, uh, normal rice doesn't have uh, the precursor to vitamin A in it. So uh, these people are on rice diets and so uh, they don't get the sort of precursor to generation of vitamin A that uh, we get from our our varied diet. So uh, in the 1990s, uh, some of the multinationals developed this uh, GM rice that uh, took a gene from uh, uh, daffodil, I think, or one of those uh, that... That uh, well, it contains the precursor the to, to vitamin A, vitamin yeah. a in it. rice. Mm. So okay. now you've got and rice that will generate will grow with vitamin A in it. 
Yeah, that's right. And so that was a way of addressing this uh, global issue. The varieties have been available since 2000. Right. And the activists have have lobbied governments around the world who know no better than to sort of take the hype. And uh, so we haven't yet had golden rice grown for human consumption. So that's 18 years we've had the capability and the activists have prevented it. So if you if you do the sums and multiply four or 500,000 a year by 18, you can tell how many people have gone blind and a high proportion of them have died. To me, that's uh, totally unethical. It's uh, it's um, well, it's certainly a perverse outcome if yeah, you put it in no, those terms. Well, then the link to glyphosate and the same sort of thing, pr- mm. producing food for the world, um, mm. crops are being now genetically modified, as as I understand from your article, that are glyphosate-ready. What does that mean? Uh, well, uh, it means they're called Roundup-ready, so that's the trademark. Oh, okay, got it. Yep. Uh, yeah, Roundup-ready, and we have it in soybeans, canola, cotton, and um, one other uh, that's escaping me at the moment. Right, really important a, food and fibre crops, and what, they, yes. they will resist? The, the glyphosate won't affect them, Roundup won't affect them? Well, it allows you to use glyphosate on those crops for weed control. And glyphosate, being yeah, a broad-spectrum yeah, yeah, weed yeah. Uh, killer, can control a whole range of, of weeds that you would otherwise have to put two or three different herbicides on. So the outcome is that uh, you can get away with um, one, ap- one maybe two applications of glyphosate during the course of these Roundup-ready crops. Mm. And glyphosate being a, the safest herbicide, we've actually saved on safety. We've saved on diesel in terms of putting out uh, multiple herbicide uh, applications. Mm. So from a climate change, emissions, carbon emissions thing, that's actually a positive as well. But the really important thing is that it's enabled the developing world to grow crops they couldn't otherwise have grown. And uh, and if you have a look at the economics behind all of this, uh, a major study that's done every couple of years by uh, people in the UK show that the biggest beneficiaries to this uh, Roundup Ready GM technology have been the developing world. More than half of that benefit goes to them. And so if we knock out glyphosate, we knock out the capability of these crops to control the weeds and the biggest losers are going to be the developing world. So your contention then is, and I'll read from your article, the world is moving towards 9 billion people in a few decades. We depend on biotechnology... GM, and glyphosate to be able to feed them. Yes. Yes, the alternative is is that uh, we go uh, either back to uh, tillage or we use herbicides or chemicals that are less safe uh, and uh, we will not be able to get the yields we get now mm. and that means in order to uh, get the production we need we're going to have to destroy a few more forests to get the land to grow them on. So there is no good outcome from this. Uh, this this is really uh, going backwards in a big way and people have not really seen the uh, 
the impact that this will have. Goodness. Well, that's a fascinating argument. Uh, and as I say, one not often heard, but thank you for drawing it to our attention. I have one final question for you, uh, Professor Jim Prattley, uh, and that is, you know, I use I use glyphosate around around my my garden. Mm. What should I do? Uh, it's the only chemical that I have in my garage. Mm. Uh, I don't have other chemicals around, um, but all chemicals need to be treated with respect. And mm. so, uh, I'm hoping that you use gloves and uh, face mask, and you don't spray in very windy weather, and all of those. Uh, things that it tells you on the label. Mm. Uh, the label's there for a purpose. Mm. It should be followed. Chemicals of all sorts uh, should be treated with respect and used as directed because, uh, you know, uh, we, we certainly don't want anyone, uh, you know, doing themselves damage by uh, inhaling uh, lots of it. Uh, it's a bit like uh, if you eat too much salt or if you drink too much coffee, there are consequences. Well, certainly if if you uh, don't use glyphosate appropriately, then uh, whilst it's safe, uh, it just depends on how much uh, you, you, know, you use it and uh, get uh, sort of exposure yes. to it. Yes, someone has thought about that label and it probably bears paying attention to. <laughs> yeah, well, it's there for purpose, but it, right. you know, it's so readily available yeah, as, yeah, as yeah. a garden thing that you're using. Uh, that wouldn't be possible if it wasn't a safe chemical. And so people should have confidence that this is uh, you know, not going to do them harm if used wisely and stored out of uh, reach of kids and that sort of thing. Yeah. And... Um, you know, it's been used for 40 years. If it was a cancer-causing agent, there's so much of it used. It's the most widely used chemical in in the world, and oh. uh, we would have an epidemic of cancer as a result. There is no sign of that. We can't find a link. So all this other stuff is, is just total rubbish. Wow. Well, Professor, thank you very much indeed for speaking to Open House. All right. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Emeritus Professor Jim Prattley from Charles Sturt University. And really interesting stuff, especially when it comes to the impact that that could have if it was banned on the third world, let alone the productivity of our own crops here uh, in Australia, where food production is so important. Now, you might say to yourself, yeah, but what about the residual effect in the soil? Well, there's some other really interesting research done by the New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. Dr Michael Rose is in charge of the soils project there at the Wollongbar Primary Industries Institute. Um, and they're looking at all kinds of cropping, fertiliser use, soil disturbance, all those kinds of things, and whether herbicides like glyphosate um, have residual effects in the soil. And apparently the research is showing that even when applied experimentally at rates much higher than labelled, the effect of it appeared to be low to non-existent in most soil types and environments. Earthworms, now you might have heard Jim Prattley saying um, microbes are affected and the particular part of the chain uh, in weeds, uh, shikimate or some word like that, that they were specifically targeted by the active ingredient in glyphosate. Well, are earthworms affected? You might ask, well, the study I've just referred to says no, they're not. Why isn't that interesting? Time for some good science to inform good policy. 
Discover more Open House podcasts at openhousecommunity.com.au.